Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Tuesday, August 1st, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about HSBC's impressive profit growth, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan's efforts to gain support for Ukraine, X's threat to sue independent researchers, China's restrictions on gallium and germanium exports, and the latest drone attacks in Moscow. Story number one. HSBC, the London-based banking giant, has reported a pre-tax profit of $21.7 billion for the first six months of this year, more than doubling its profit from the same period last year. According to the BBC, the increase in profit was attributed to rising interest rates globally and a $1.5 billion gain from its acquisition of Silicon Valley Bank's British business. HSBC's CEO, Noel Quinn, highlighted strong net interest income and cost control as factors contributing to the bank's positive performance. The bank also provided an optimistic outlook for its full-year earnings. The UK's financial watchdog has warned banks to pass on interest rate rises to savers, and the Bank of England is expected to raise its base rate further in an effort to reduce inflation. There's no denying that HSBC's staggering profit surge has made waves in the financial world. It's interesting to see how banks like HSBC are cashing in on the rising interest rates. This is capitalism at its finest, really. In response to changing global economic policies, these banking giants have swiftly adapted to turn a profit. Yes, Mark. I agree that HSBC's profit surge is a significant development. But we must also consider the wider implications. The bank's profits have doubled. But are these benefits being passed on to the consumers? The UK's Financial Conduct Authority has already raised concerns about banks not passing on the interest rate rises to savers. That's a solid point, Linda. It's not all about the numbers on a balance sheet. We should also be looking at the impact on the average Joe. If banks are raking in profits from higher interest rates, it's only fair that savers also see some of that benefit. Moreover, it's important to note the role of central banks here. They have been increasing interest rates to control price rises, but the effectiveness of this measure is debatable. After all, while mortgage rates have risen quickly, savings rates haven't kept pace, particularly for easy access accounts. Hmm, that's a conundrum, isn't it? It's a complex situation, no doubt. Rising interest rates can be a double-edged sword. While they can help curb inflation, they can also burden borrowers and create inequalities in the financial system. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It is a multifaceted issue that requires careful management. As we move forward, it's critical that banks and financial regulators balance the need for profit with their responsibility to consumers and the wider economy. Story number two. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is expected to attend a meeting in Saudi Arabia this weekend to persuade countries from the global south, such as Brazil and India, to support Ukraine's proposals for ending the war with Russia. According to The Guardian, the meeting, called by Ukraine, aims to draw neutral countries off the fence in their approach to the Russian invasion. Saudi Arabia and Ukraine have invited 30 countries, including Indonesia, Egypt, Mexico, Chile, and Zambia, to the meeting in Jeddah. This is the second in a series of multilateral talks initiated by Ukraine to broaden global support for a 10-point peace plan proposed by President Volodymyr Zelensky. Did you catch the news about Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security Advisor, heading to Saudi Arabia, Linda? 
It's interesting how neutral countries are suddenly at the forefront of this Ukraine crisis. Yes, Mark. Neutral countries like Brazil, India, Mexico, Chile, and Zambia do hold a significant strategic position. Historically, neutral countries have often played a critical role in mediating international conflicts. They can provide a balanced perspective and might be seen as less biased in negotiations. Right. But it's not always an easy decision for these countries, is it? I mean, they risk upsetting the major powers and could face diplomatic or economic backlash. It's a delicate balance. These nations have to consider their own national interests, their relationships with the major global powers, and the potential impact on their standing in the international community. Not to mention the internal dynamics, like public opinion and political pressure. So, in this case, what kind of role do you think these neutral countries can play in the Ukraine crisis? Well, Mark, they could potentially tip the balance towards a peaceful resolution. Their endorsement of Ukraine's proposals might put pressure on Russia to reconsider its stance. Also, their participation could help in bringing China to the negotiation table, a crucial player in this conflict. However, it's a complex issue and the outcomes are hard to predict. It really shows how interconnected our world is today, doesn't it? Every decision, every action has ripple effects across the globe. It's a testament to the intricacy of global politics and diplomacy. And it emphasizes the importance of dialogue, compromise, and cooperation in resolving conflicts. Story number three. X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, has threatened to sue a group of independent researchers for their research on hate speech increase on the site since it was purchased by Elon Musk, as reported by Al Jazeera. The Center for Countering Digital Hate, CCDH, a non-profit organization, regularly publishes reports on hate speech and harmful behavior on social media platforms, including X. The organization has released reports critical of Musk's leadership, highlighting an increase in anti-LGBTQ hate speech and climate misinformation. In response, X's attorney accused the researchers of intending to harm the platform's business and questioned their expertise. The threat of a lawsuit has raised concerns about the chilling effect it may have on other researchers and the potential for other industries to adopt similar strategies. U.S. Representative Adam Schiff criticized Musk for using the threat of legal action to punish a nonprofit group holding a powerful social media platform accountable, as stated by Al Jazeera. I gotta tell you, Linda, this news about X threatening to sue those independent researchers, it's got me a bit riled up. Here we have a billionaire Musk who's championing free speech, and yet he's going after those who are pointing out the increase in hate speech on his platform. It's got me scratching my head. What's your take on this? Oh, Mark, it's a complex situation, to say the least. While it's true that Musk has positioned himself as a free speech absolutist, the contentious issue here is about the nature of the speech that's being allowed on his platform. The researchers from the Center for Countering Digital Hate are raising concerns about an increase in hate speech, especially anti-LGBTQ content and climate misinformation. Yeah, I get it. But isn't this a bit of a slippery slope? I mean, where do we draw the line between free speech and hate speech? And who gets to decide that? That's the million-dollar question mark. In an ideal world, social media platforms would be spaces for free and respectful dialogue. But we know that's not always the case. The balance between freedom of speech and preventing hate speech is delicate, and it's further complicated by the fact that these platforms are owned by private entities who can set their own rules. It's a tough balancing act, and there are no easy answers. Right, Linda. And it's not just about X, either. 
This could have implications for other social media platforms as well. I mean, it's not unheard of for these platforms to face criticism for not doing enough to combat hate speech. So, what's the role of independent researchers in all of this? Independent researchers, like those at the CCDH, play a critical role in holding these platforms accountable. They shine a spotlight on issues that may otherwise go unnoticed or underaddressed. However, as we're seeing with X's response, this can sometimes put them at risk of legal action. It's a precarious position to be in, but their work is vital in driving changes in content moderation policies. Makes sense. But then there's this argument X's attorney is making, suggesting that the CCDH is trying to harm X's reputation. I mean, if their research is accurate, isn't it the content on the platform that's harming the reputation, not the people pointing it out? That's a valid point, Mark. If the research findings are accurate, they're just presenting a reality that already exists on the platform. The reaction from X may reflect a broader issue where platform owners are resistant to criticism, even when it could potentially lead to positive changes. Unfortunately, this reaction could potentially have a chilling effect on future research and critical examination of these platforms. Story number four. China is set to impose restrictions on the export of gallium and germanium, two materials crucial to the semiconductor industry, as reported by the BBC. These materials are used in chip production and have military applications. China is the largest producer of gallium and germanium, accounting for 80% and 60% of global production respectively. The move comes as a response to efforts by the U.S. to limit China's access to advanced microprocessor technology. The constant back and forth between the two countries has raised concerns about resource nationalism and its impact on global supply chains. While the export restrictions are not expected to have a significant long-term impact, they highlight the growing tensions in the global chip war. So, this new move by China, restricting exports of gallium and germanium, key elements in the semiconductor industry, it's just another play in the ongoing technology war with the U.S. It's a strategic move, and a classic example of resource nationalism. But isn't that what countries do when their interests are at stake? They play their cards. Well, Mark, I see where you're coming from. But this resource nationalism, as we're calling it, has far-reaching implications. Sure, it's happening in the context of a tech war between superpowers, but the ripple effects could disrupt global supply chains and even slow the progress towards greener technologies. It's not just about playing cards. It's about understanding the game we're in and the stakes we're playing for. Right, Linda. But let's not forget that this isn't an entirely new phenomenon. Remember when China restricted exports of rare earth minerals a decade ago? Eventually, other exporters stepped up and China's dominance fell. I believe the same will happen with gallium and germanium. Market dynamics will naturally seek equilibrium. Yes, Mark. Market dynamics might seek equilibrium, but at what cost? And how long will that take? In the meantime, prices for goods dependent on these materials could skyrocket. It's not just about semiconductors or chips. It's about the end consumer, too. Plus, the environmental impact cannot be overlooked. The push to find alternative materials or sources could take a toll on our environment. Well, you've got a point, Linda. But I still believe that this could spur innovation, drive the development of alternative technologies and even recycling efforts. Who knows? This could end up being a blessing in disguise. Hmm. A blessing in disguise, Mark. That's a rather optimistic outlook, but I suppose only time will tell. Story number five. 
Russian forces have downed several drones over Moscow, with one of the intercepted aircraft damaging an office tower that was previously hit in an attack. According to Al Jazeera, the Russian Defense Ministry claimed that its anti-aircraft units thwarted a terrorist attack by the Kiev regime and downed two drones in the suburbs. However, another drone crashed into a complex of non-residential buildings in Moscow City. This attack is the latest in a series of drone assaults that Moscow has blamed on Kiev, including attacks on the Kremlin and Russian towns near the Ukraine border. Ukrainian officials did not acknowledge the attacks, but President Volodymyr Zelensky stated that the conflict was now reaching Russia. Will you look at this, Linda? Drones are becoming a game-changer in modern warfare. The recent attacks on Moscow's office buildings demonstrate how these unmanned devices can disrupt not just military operations but civilian life as well. But let's not forget that drones also provide a level of precision that can minimize collateral damage in conflicts. So in a way, they're pushing us towards a more civilized form of warfare, if such a thing exists. I see where you're coming from, Mark. But the civilized warfare you're talking about is a bit of a paradox for me. Yes, drones might minimize collateral damage in some cases, but they also open up a whole new range of targets. Take these recent attacks in Moscow, for example. An office building has been hit twice. That's a civilian infrastructure, not a military target. So, doesn't it seem like the use of drones is blurring the lines between combatants and non-combatants? Well, Linda, war unfortunately has never been clear-cut. I'm not saying it's a good thing that civilian infrastructures are being targeted, but in wars, it's always been about disrupting the enemy's capabilities. And let's remember, these drones are unmanned. We're not talking about a human pilot making a split-second decision here. These attacks are premeditated, calculated. That could suggest that the choice of targets is deliberate, with a specific intention in mind. That's exactly my point, Mark. The fact that these attacks are calculated makes it even more concerning. It's no longer just about military strategy, but also psychological warfare. The repeated targeting of the same building, whether by accident or design, has an impact on the people who work there and the general public. It's creating fear, and the ethical implications of using drones in this way, I think, are still largely unexplored. I agree, Linda. The ethical implications are indeed a big question mark. But as with any technological advancement, it's a double-edged sword. The same drones can be used for surveillance, for search and rescue operations, for delivering aid to disaster-stricken areas. We can't just abandon the technology because it can be misused. Instead, we should focus on developing defensive measures and regulations to prevent misuse. Defensive measures are important, Mark, but they can't be the only solution. We also need international consensus and legal frameworks to regulate the use of drones in warfare. The potential for misuse is just too high, and the consequences, as we're seeing in Moscow, can be devastating. And, let's not forget, the technology is evolving rapidly. Who knows what capabilities drones will have in the future? That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.